This is The Straight Dope, episode 49, Control. The Steel Safari that's run by Competition Dynamics every year is kind of the ultimate single-person control freak test for riflemen. I'll get to that. But before I do, I want to say thank you to all the supporters out there who have Riflecraft subscriptions and provide me with emails, feedback, and I'm continuing to work on that and provide things to the supporters. And if you want to support this podcast, I know there's a lot of listeners that don't, can't, um, or whatever for, for whatever reasons, but the only way to really support pushing this podcast is to go to riflecraft.com, order a shirt, and subscribe to the to the website. And with that, you get increased analytics and metrics and feedback from me. I send beta things out for you guys to test, and I'm trying to raise that communication and back and forth. But, you know, like everything that you're trying to build while you go, uh, you know, it could be slow a little bit, but your feedback and support helps grow and support this. So please, if you if you can, uh, go subscribe to riflecraft.com, buy a shirt, and if you really want to, uh, come out to one of the unconventional skill assessment courses that Frank Galley and I run out in Fort Morgan, Colorado, where we isolate and extract the relevant data from your particular shooting, and then we can help coach you towards your goals using those metrics. But let's get back to how we use the metrics that we assess ourselves and push them towards uh, certain objectives. Steel Safari does a great job at that. Um, the competition dynamics events kind of weed out control freaks because it's all blind, all unknown, and you can't you can train to a certain extent, but you also just have to go and deal with what you get. Steel Safari is a three day event. Um, you know, if you include check in, it's four days. It's in New Mexico at JP Rifles private ranch called the Blue Steel Ranch, and it's a pretty sick facility. It's got three courses, a north course, a west course, and a south course. Those courses each have nine stages, and those nine stages allow you to take a maximum of six shots at six targets. So each day you get assigned a part-time, you walk out, and you get to that first stage, and in five minutes you have to locate range and engage with a single shot each of those targets. If you're a carbine shooter, a 223 division shooter, you can take unlimited shots at those targets and you get scored based on your impacts. And that takes three days. And when you're done, you have a pretty good idea of your relative skill sets. So let's talk about the things that we can't control. Things that we can't control in life, that don't mean we can't deal with them. It doesn't mean that we can't adapt and we can't start thinking about stuff. But there's some things that you just can't know, like your targets. Most shooting scenarios, most shooting um, you know, applications involve unknown targets, unknown target distance. So the idea of having to train skills that allow you to adapt to unknown target, unknown distance is pretty useful. And if you're not training with that in mind, you're going to get caught empty-handed at some point at a competition or on a hunt or whatever. You can't control the targets, and that's the idea. It's unknown. You can't control the wind. And on an unknown stage like that, there's some things that you can do before. There's some things you can do after. But on that stage, uh, you don't get to make a wind plan. You kind of have to have an idea going into it what you're going to do. The unknown winds and the unknown targets make this particularly challenging. Now, in New Mexico, it's very, very dry. In fact, I had heard that it hadn't rained 
uh, for a couple of years in this spot. Right? I mean, it was pretty, and it kind of looks like that, right? The dust is very, very fine dust, which makes dirt get into everything. You can't control the dirt, the wind, and the unknown stage shooting locations and targetry. It was very hot. We got up over 100 degrees, and you can't control the weather. And to a certain extent, you can't control gun issues. You can't control other types of equipment issues. But these events put you face-to-face with all of those things, and you have to deal with it. The best shooters out there have a system that allows them to go through in a step-by-step way. You can't just wing it. Uh, 27 stages don't allow luck to really factor in all that often. And so the best shooters have systems that allow them to get through those more effectively. And I think that's statistically measured every year when people get out there and throw themselves up against those targets. And usually, you know, you're around 100-plus shooters. You get a good idea of who had equipment go down, who didn't, and then people talk about it afterwards and talk about that stuff. So let's go back to the beginning. We got unknown targets, unknown winds, dirt, sun, equipment issues, and more. To me, it all falls back on processes. You have to have processes that you can go through psychologically, mentally. You hear Morgan King talk about it. You're going to hear Chad Heckler talk about it. You hear me talk about it. Anybody that I've interviewed talks about the processes that they've hammered in so that when something happens, they don't go, oh, shit, I don't know what to do. It becomes a more reflexive process. Some things have to stay cognitive. Some things can become reflexive. Knowing that you're on the clock means that you have to be able to get to the spot and start doing the necessary steps in the amount of time that leaves you time to be able to shoot and deal with other things. That requires practice. That practice has to be conscious. It has to be mapped out. And I think you have to isolate the specific skills and techniques and not do them together because you have to be able to measure each one to know which one is strong which one you can sustain, and which one you need to raise in order to improve. And that requires a certain amount of planning. That planning you can do yourself. You time yourself, you film yourself, you measure, you extract, and break down those parts. Or you can come to something like the Unconventional Skills Assessment where we help you do that, and we provide you a training plan that's designed based on your particular strengths and weaknesses. I do not think that a one-size-fits-all type of a class extends beyond the beginner level. You just can't do that. First of all, if we take five good shooters and go to a class, one of those shooters is going to get more attention than the others because they're not as up to speed, and everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. So what resonates from a lecture to a big group of people might not sink in the same for everybody there, whereas being able to isolate and extract some of that stuff a lot and focus one-on-one with somebody saying, hey, you're pretty good at this, and you can use some improvement here will really allow you to braise those skills, and you can do it yourself. Um, That means that you need to film yourself and record your metrics as specifically as possible and then train your weakness in isolation before you start tailoring it back in and do it consistently enough, just like an exercise or diet program or studying for a course, so that you can learn the material, test yourself on that material, and then layer it into the larger picture. One of the things that you have to do absolutely at Steel Safari is read your rounds and reverse calculate 
wind speeds because you 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 know if you're trying to be competitive and competitive out at Steel Safari is eighty percent hit rate on about a two MOA target. You know the the plates I think a lot of them out there are like eight inch plates, and those plates some of them are ten, and I think the biggest ones are twelve inches. But they had twelve inch plates at twelve hundred yards and thirteen sixty six. They had ten inch plates around eight hundred yards. 700 yards and a lot of eight inch plates uh, inside of 600 yards um, all the way up to about 100 yards so the targets are not huge they might be bigger than prs targets but you get one shot at each target so hit or miss you have to move on being able to read that correction and follow it up and carry that wind plan from one target to the next allows you to get a higher hit percentage so Practicing reading rounds and making corrections off the plate and on the plate is absolutely important. And you have to do all of that on the clock. And so some of that requires, you know, either in the staging area, getting a wind plan and also reverse calculating your wind plan from your previous stage. The thing about this event, though, is that you're basically shooting from about, um, you know, even though it's northwest and south, the north and south courses kind of pie towards the east. And so you're almost, you're, I would say that the azimuth of fire is probably th- 320 degrees in terms of putting the direction uh, of all the shots together. And the wind speed uh, is changing based on the terrain. It's wildly different terrain between north, south, and west. And out there, in New Mexico, as the day passes, the wind direction shifts too. So you've got growing winds that tend to be uh, non-constant, and the angle is usually adjusting. And so you have to be able to read and adjust your wind plan throughout the day and, and act accordingly, which is pretty cool. Because of the dryness and the winds, dirt blows everywhere. And I've been out there, I've shot the team safari a couple times and, and now the individual carbine safari. If you don't have a way to keep your system clean, it's going to have a malfunction. Triggers go down. Um, and as I found out, uh, act, the whole bolt carrier system can get gummed up if you don't keep everything dry. I tend to, uh, the, I had a lot of lube in it to keep it, keep it running. And in this scenario, what worked for me and my carbine setup was to have it absolutely dry. Um, we tried various things because I was having, uh, I was having malfunctions, a lot of them and having to deal with those malfunctions on the clock proved to be a massive stress event for me. It took a little bit of the fun out because I, on stages you could, you know, my, I'm sure my ROs, I had three, uh, sometimes five R, uh, the, the event guys were coming up to kind of help speed things up. So I think five people ended up kind of seeing the, the stuff, six people, so, you know, trying to clear those malfunctions on the clock and get the gun back up and running. And I, I was able to do that usually. Um, and so I, I performed well, but I performed well basically because I was fast at troubleshooting, you know, and, and shooting, but also troubleshooting and getting the rifle system back up and running before I ran out of time so I could get some of my remaining shots off. I think for the whole event, I was down six shots. And most of that came down to the ability to deal with malfunctions on the clock. Uh, get the gun back up and running, and then take the shots that I needed to hit the targets. Uh, my strengths in in most of shooting is uh, you know being able to build or shoot from any position, 
and target acquisition, target speed, and remembering sequence of targets. So this event tailored to some of those strengths of mine, which is you know being out in the field, locating, ranging, and engaging those targets. That's something that I do a lot of. And so whereas new people tend to struggle with that part, um, usually you know I tend to be relatively fast. And thank God I was because I spent minutes sometimes breaking the rifle apart you know, popping the lower down, pulling out the bolt carrier group, knocking out a round stuck in the chamber, getting it back up and running. And we'll talk about that in a little bit here. But then being able to get back on target and doing it sometimes, uh, you know, going through that whole process a second time um, just to just to try to hit some of these targets was was pretty intense. Uh, in order to stay out there all day, though, you need to be able to carry a lot of water. And you also have to be carrying all the equipment that you might need if something goes down because most of the time you're a mile or two from the parking area. So you have to have all of that equipment with you. Uh, bolt gunners uh, tend to run things pretty dry, but gas gunners often run their bolt carrier groups and system very wet. Um, out here, I think everybody wipes it down dry. And at, in retrospect, talking to the gas gunners, most of them uh, had no lube in their system at all. And they were just running it dry because the dirt is so intense. It gums up and creates a kind of paste that locks up your whole system. Now, let's talk about practicing malfunctions, having backup stuff, and uh, learning and growing from this. I, I did have a lot of stuff with me, fortunately, but one of the things that I didn't have with me when I started was a whole backup bolt carrier group and bolt. So one of my gas rings uh, had expanded, and <clears throat> a lot of times gas rings on a carbine, when they start going bad... Uh, you know, can't support the weight of the bolt carrier group. So uh, folks were showing the test where you put the bolt, you know, extended, and then you put the weight of the bolt carrier group up on it, and it can either hold it or it starts falling. Apparently with JP gas rings, it doesn't pass that test, but they're still good. They still work. They're spiral gas rings instead of circular ones. Um, and uh, But mine, you would put it up there, and, you know, you would almost have to, like, hammer it to get the bolt to slide through the bolt carrier because of all the crud that were in there. Not only were the rings expanded, but there was also lube and dust and dirt in there. And what what happens is you shoot and then the bolt carrier group uh, flings back, picks up another round, <clears throat> and it wouldn't put it into battery because that bolt wasn't going forward. So the and and with all that stuff in there, the round was getting stuck in the chamber, not in battery. And the carbine that I was using didn't have a forward assist. And so at that point, I was kind of out of luck. So it's a combination of a lot of factors, uh, including switching ammo and being a little bit undergassed. So I kind of had like this, this perfect storm of issues going on, some of which hasn't been fully diagnosed or fixed yet, but I'm kind of going through that process. But let me tell you how, how I was able to fix that. With a round stuck in the chamber, you got to knock it out of the you got to knock it out of the chamber. And so the first malfunction that I had was on a stage where it didn't go into battery and there was a round in the chamber. So I had to get it knocked out, knocked it out, put it back in. Same thing happened. Crap. Pulled it apart again, knocked it out, pulled, and then I wiped off the bolt and was able to continue shooting. It happened again on that stage, pulled it out, knocked the round out. Was And, and um, I didn't get all my shots off on that stage, but it was the first time I had that type of malfunction repeat itself. And so that troubleshooting, although I, I, I was able to get points, I didn't get all the points for that stage. After that, uh, I took the bolt carrier group and bolt apart, realized that, you know, there was some issues going on with that, cleaned out the chamber and 
uh, ran a boar snake through the barrel, kind of cleaned everything that I could, but I re-lubed it, uh, thinking, okay, well, I want it to slide a little bit better. And that, that kind of made, that exacerbated the issues. The next stage had the same issues. Um, it was binding up. The dirt was kind of blasting up into it. It um, repeated itself for a couple stages. And I started not to lube it, but I got really quick on clearing those malfunctions and was able to get through the day, uh, only dropping a couple rounds, uh, doing that kind of process, but knowing that, um, you know, when I had an issue, not to hesitate at all, but to drop the, drop the lower, pull out the bolt, wipe it, clear out the chamber, knock the round out, get it back in, get it back running and, um, and keep going. It was a hassle but it became more of a mechanical issue and just making sure that if I found the targets in time, I could engage them with time to spare. And even with that, uh, I was able to usually finish uh, with, with over a minute on these stages, uh, which, was, which was pretty awesome. Afterwards, we realized the gas rings had gone out and I was having issues with my bolt carrier group. The carrier group that I was using was a little bit out of spec, and so there was some grinding uh, happening. Unfortunately, uh, being at JP's ranch, uh, a guy, Dustin, um, came out and he had a bunch of JP parts, a bolt carrier groups, bolts, and some other shooters came out and they had backup bolt carrier groups or carbines in their car that they weren't shooting as bolt gunners. And I was able to get uh, bolt carrier groups and bolts as backups to keep on my body for the next day. And then rather than kind of cleaning it out and pulling all the stuff out and getting it all back in, when I had a malfunction, I could just pull it out, swap the carrier group, and clean it between stages, which is the procedure that I went through uh, after that. And so really, like the community came together to kind of make sure that the system after the fact would keep running. And I realized that at a minimum on these field events, you're going to want to carry two full bolt carrier groups kind of ready to go. Now, what we learned the next day was that rather than lubing it, these things needed to be run totally dry because any lube would pick up the dust. Or if you had dry lube, I guess, but we didn't test that out. But having completely dry setups was the only way to keep from forming kind of this red dust paste that would cause things to bind up. And it was binding up and causing my undergassed rifle to just have more problems getting into battery and it was pushing some of that stuff forward and getting the bullets stuck. So having backup bolt carrier group and bolt is a good idea in these field matches because if something goes wrong, you can diagnose it after you just swap it out and finish the stage. <clears throat> Another thing, the dust and dirt. I've said it before, and I'll probably say it a lot more times, is that your tripods can bind up with the dust. The dust gets in the leg tubes. The tubes don't go in and out very well. <clears throat> when that happens, if you force it, you can snap those little gaskets. Well, there's some shooters that I had been talking to and asked me, hey, you know, I heard your podcast. Should I get some of these gaskets? You know, or one of them actually had one broken, wasn't sure how to fix it. So he reached out to two vets and Daniel sent him some gaskets. Now, I always preach getting backup gaskets. These guys got backup gaskets. They were carrying them around. I went out there, and I didn't bring out my gaskets, and I broke one. Fortunately, one of these shooters had his backup gasket set, his little bag of them, and I was able to fix the leg uh, after having it kind of in a fixed, extended mode uh, for, for one of the days. Uh, so 
if I had to go low or adjust the height, I basically had to swing the leg in and out because I couldn't adjust the length of the leg in the field. And that happens a lot. It bound up several times over the event and being able to fix it and clear it quickly as well as swap out those gaskets is is pretty important and it could cost you time and potentially points if you're not prepared to be able to fix that. So being out in the dirt, I would carry gaskets for any tripod that you carry in the field. I didn't. Fortunately, there was people there that had that and um, yeah, you know, so I was caught kind of empty handed there. Um, so that's pretty cool. Know that your system can run dry and understand kind of the, the signs of if there's too much lube and dust, you know, understand how it's going to change the effects of um, that round. Now, when I switched from 77 or 73 grain burgers to 77 grain burgers, it, it changed the pressure and it became undergassed. It was ejecting around 4.30 instead of around 3 o'clock. And so I think that was keeping it also from getting into battery. And maybe I got to check out my bolt or, uh, or my spring. I don't know. But but I'll get to the bottom of it, and I'll share with you guys. But but thank God, like, the JP guys were there with extra bolts and gas rings, and there were shooters um, with all that stuff. I think the only rifles that didn't go down um, were were the JP gas guns. And so that, that big shout-out goes to those guys for building something that works on their on their ranch, and they, they, they know what they're talking about when it comes to running them in, in filthy, um, windy, dirty conditions. Uh, and that doesn't mean other other rifles don't shoot. My sh- my rifle sh- uh, shot great. I just you know want to say that statistically speaking, um, you know, a lot of rifles went down, and 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 then you know when when the only ones that don't, um, you know, test their equipment out in that con- in those conditions, I think that that says something cool, and uh, and thankfully the community is supportive and they don't care um, that. You know, I'm trying to be competitive out there. They just want to get me back up and running. And so that was really cool to see uh, happen. Other people had triggers go out in years past at the team event. I have had triggers go out in that dust. Uh, and some bolt gunners, actually, you know, some of the top five bolt gunners had their triggers go out and they were able to get them swapped and back up and running also, which is a testament to how um, good people are getting at fixing equipment that goes down and then staying in the game because out there it's consistency. And if you have a bad stage, you can usually get it back. And, and all these guys are showing it. I mean, the winning hit percentage was 80% for the bolt gunners and, um, a handful of the top shooters, uh, you know, shit, even two of the top three had triggers go out and they were able to stay competitive throughout the whole event uh having that stuff fixed so if i was out there again i think i would have backup triggers i'd have backup scope i would have backup bolt bolt you know or or uh, at least a, if it with a carbine carrier groups cleaning rod and um other stuff in order to keep things going while you're out there um i do know that uh you know, different optics and different glass has has different characteristics. And people that were running the SIG 10Ks out there had issues. The, apparently, there's a blue hue to them. And with the air quality and the, the green plants and the red uh, rocks that were everywhere, plus shadows, and a lot of the targets were right in the shadow in front of a bush, I know... Um, 
many, many, many shooters were looking for pe- to borrow people's backup binoculars because they could not see targets. The laser was fine. Everything else was fine. But the glass color made it such that those particular targets were impossible to see. And they could see them through the rifle scope. They could see them through other glass. I was using um, my Vortex Furies, which, which were great. Uh, I didn't. I found every target on the course and, and felt like it was pretty clear. Now, I've, I've said the, the 10Ks and the Furies, to me, are comparable. That blue hue is an issue in some environments, and this happened to be one of those cases where competitors literally could not see the targets with that. Good competitors. And once again, other competitors that had backup binoculars loaned them out so that those competitors could stay competitive um, despite you know having some equipment stuff go down. So uh, be familiar with your equipment and know what it's capable of doing, know what it's capable, what it's not, and then how to fix it. And if you can't see something, you know, pop it down on low low mag with your rifle scope and look through your rifle scope. Um, you know, once you find your targets, you engage them. If you don't find them all, engage the ones you have at a particular time and then continue to search. The very last stage, on the very last day, I found four of the six targets decided, crap, you know, I, I, you know, I may or may not be able to find those last two. I engaged the four pan to lower power and happened to see a strap behind and to the right of the fourth target that I shot. Uh, you know, I kind of didn't feel like I had time to, to range them. Uh, knew it was a little bit far, farther. I had about a half a mil. You know, held held my wind call on the strap and hit the plate. And then when that happened, I, I actually saw the sixth target and did the same procedure and hit that. And so sometimes it works out and um, saves you a little bit of time and a little bit of heartache by just panning down onto lower power and scanning with your rifle system. And, um, you know, but all those techniques and tricks help people get more shots and, um, and then the time management and stress factor that goes in, you really have to inoculate yourself by going to these events and to train those stress uh, f- effects because they're, they're, definitely, they're definitely real. Be prepared for equipment issues. Be prepared for the sun. Be prepared for the dirt. Be prepared for unknown winds. And be prepared for the unknown. And that starts with having a process, practicing the things that you can control, and when you have control over the things that you can have control of and you have processes built in so that you can observe, orient, decide, and act, then the unknown becomes much more tolerable and you can stay focused and achieve success. I think that that is, is totally the idea. Is you have to have skills, you have to practice those skills and get so comfortable with the skills that when the unknown presents itself, you're able to work around the issue and, and not let it overwhelm or freak you out. These are the best events for that. All of the competition dynamics events throw some element of the unknown, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it always shows you things that you can work on, things that you can improve on if it's important to you. So, you know, I can't, I can't say enough good stuff about this stuff. And, um, and it's cool to go out and see people that are all doing the same types of procedures and getting after it. Some guys have been out there for 30 years shooting, you know, what this event used to be as it 
as it transitioned into these competition dynamics. And, and they talk about years where stuff goes bad and years where stuff goes wrong, but they keep coming back. And sometimes they have wins and sometimes they, they don't do as well as they had hoped, but they keep coming back every year and growing as shooters. And I think that that is the real goal because it's not always about that one success, right? It's about growth over time. And that growth over time requires that your performance, you know, get hit with the unknown enough where you say, wow, you know, I thought I had this figured out, but I don't. Here's where I need to work and grow. And um, when that happens, talking to other shooters out there and saying, hey, you know, how do I fix this? How do I fix this? And you learn and grow as a community. And um, this event hasn't really changed much over the decades, but it's still the perfect test for a well-rounded rifleman. So anyway, check it out. Get out there. And pretty soon I'm going to have a really fun podcast with uh, Morgan and Chad uh, doing a debate, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to get back to some fundamental stuff here also for a few episodes. But like always, if you have questions or comments, just email me, chrisrway at gmail.com. Message me on Instagram through Gun Around the Sun, the Straight Dope Podcast, and Riflecraft, or on Facebook with Chris Way. You can message me there. I'm always psyched to talk about stuff. I love hearing feedback and ways to add, change, and grow, riflecraft.com. And if you haven't yet, check out the website, make a free profile, use it. And if you feel like supporting it, uh, grab a subscription shirt or come to a training.